0: Okay, well, today is the day, so let's open up um, our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, and today we will finally finish um, Colossians. Uh, We began all the way back in uh, January 2019, Um, so today is the day we finish. Let's open up Colossians chapter 4, and this morning we'll be starting at verses 7 to the end. Let's pray as we uh, consider God's Word together. Lord, we thank You that we can come before Your Word. And Lord, we pray that You would speak into our hearts through it. This is Your Word to us. This is Your Word for us. And I pray, Lord, as we hear it, that You will enable us to respond in a way that is fitting unto um, You. In Your precious name, I pray these things. Amen. If this past year or past few months has taught us anything, it is this truth that people need people. We as people, we need other people. This is why I think we find the social distancing stuff so, so difficult Because you will realize that you need another person with you. We are social beings and we need people around us. We need people to encourage us. We need people to be with us. We cannot live alone. We don't do well alone. People need people. And you'll realize that for any of those of us who are working, you'll realize that it is entirely different when you start working at home as to when you start working with people. When you start working at home, sometimes it it is good, but you will realize eventually you want to have people. You want the buzz of people around you. People need people. It is so awkward right now. I don't know if you realize that, but when we're saying hi to people, you kind of nod at people, don't you? It is even worse when you're saying goodbye to people because then you have to nod at them again. And the reason that's so difficult is because we like contact. We like people around us. We like to give hugs. We like to give handshakes. People need people. And that is the same for us as believers, as Christians. We need other Christians around us. We need other people around us. Because if we don't, we will fall in our faith. And so what I want to show you this morning from this text is that we need four types of people. We need encouraging people, we need faithful people, we need comforting people, and we need hard-working people. First, we need encouraging people. Chapter 4, verse 7 says this, "'Tychicus will tell you all about my activities.'" He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know, know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So why did Paul send Tychicus to them? Well, there are two reasons. There is a practical reason and a spiritual reason. The practical reason he sends Tychicus to them, well, one, Paul can't go himself. Why can't Paul go himself? Because Paul is under house arrest in Rome, so he can't go himself. He has to send someone. Paul practically has to send someone to bring and deliver this letter to the church at Colossae. Also, he wants Tychicus, what? To fill in the gaps. Listen to what Paul says in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Verse 8. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are. And then at the end of verse 9. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. I'm sending Tychicus to you. So that he might fill in the gaps as to how I am doing. And what that means is with Paul, when he wrote his letters, he was not exhaustive in his letters in telling people about himself. He didn't have a self-focus in his letters. He didn't write all about himself. There were times that he gave his testimony. There were times that he talked about himself. But here in his letters, he wants to give them instruction. And so when he sends Tychicus out to Colossae, he sends them out, him out practically so that he can fill in the gaps and tell them how Paul is doing. So that's the practical reason why he sends Tychicus to them. But there is a spiritual reason why he sends Tychicus to them. And that is in verse 8. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. There is something that all of us need as Christians. And it is this. We desperately need encouragement we desperately need encouragement some of you this morning have walked in this morning desperately discouraged desperately needing someone to build you up someone to say something to you that will give you some hope all of us need encouragement And this is why he sends Tychicus to Colossae, because they need encouragement. Think about how discouraged they must be right now. Because they have false teachers in in their midst, telling them that they do not have enough. This kind of elitist mentality. You don't have enough if you don't worship angels. You don't have enough if you don't celebrate these feasts. You don't have enough if you don't have what we have. And can you imagine how discouraging that would be to them? That they they don't feel like they have the full relationship that they should have in Christ. It is discouraging to them because of this. I don't know if you notice this about yourself, but sometimes we are our own worst critics, aren't we? We are our own worst enemies in terms of how we speak to ourselves and critique ourselves and come against ourselves in our lives. Not only when people discourage us, but we ourselves can discourage us. And how do we do that? Do you ever say to yourself, sometimes, you know, I don't pray enough. I don't pray as much as I should. Do you ever say to yourself, well, I don't, I don't read the Bible as much as I should. And then if you go along that line, do you know what happens? You say, I don't pray enough. I don't read read enough. I'm not spiritual enough. And then you conclude, well, I'm not good enough. If you are in Christ, that is an absolute lie. You are in Christ. He has made you in Him. You are the righteousness of Christ if you have believed in Him by faith. And so why is Tychicus coming? Tychicus is coming to encourage them. And that's what Paul wants for them. He wants them to be built up. He wants them to be encouraged. And we see this in three ways. First, by writing the letter. We know he wants them to be encouraged because he writes the letter to people he has never met before. He writes them the letter and in chapter 1, verse 23, he says to them, stay firm and steadfast and stable in the hope of the gospel. So first he wants to encourage them and we see that because he writes the letter. We also see that he wants to encourage them because he's willing to suffer for people he does not know. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul is saying, I have struggled, I have suffered for these people. Why? That their hearts might be encouraged. So he wrote the letter for their encouragement. He has suffered for their encouragement. And now we hear he is sending someone for their encouragement. I am sending Tychicus to encourage you and build you up, to give you confidence. That is what encouragement is. It is giving someone confidence, building someone up in their faith. Where would we be if people did not encourage us? I remember at MCC camp a few years ago, a long, more than just a few years ago, but a few, few years ago, there I was in MCC camp and that guy, Walter Burrell, came up beside me. Some of you will know him. And he said, Shane, tonight what I want you to do is share your testimony. That's what I want you to do tonight, Shane. Stand up and share your testimony. I was petrified. I was Petrified. I don't want to stand up in front of these people and they do this this circle thing where everybody sees you as you stand up and it's kind of this circle and then there's this fire and everybody's watching you. Shane, I want you to stand up and I want you to tell them your testimony, your story about how Jesus has changed your life. I would not be here if I didn't have him say to me, you can do that. Stand up, you can do that, it's okay. And it wasn't just that one moment. There were many moments along my life where people said, Yeah, stand up and read. Stand up and do that. You can do that. Why? Because I was petrified of reading in front of people. I was the guy who always made mistakes in class. Always. I would be sent aside for, you know, the the special reading group, you know. Everybody knows that special reading group. That was me. If someone didn't tell me, you can get up and and we'll allow you to read and you can do it and it's okay, I wouldn't have been able to do it. We desperately need encouragement in our lives. And so that is what I hope that this church will be. That we will be an encouraging church that constantly seek to build each other up. Not give each other false flattery, but build each other up. Tell each other, give each other strength that we we can do these things. Remind each other when we are feeling low that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Building one another up and reminding one another, no, you have Jesus. You have him. He saved you from your sins, but we need to speak that into each other's lives. Have you ever thought, an encouraging thought, in your head, towards someone. Man, they're they're good at that. Man, I'm glad they did that. What often happens to us as Christians is this. We keep that thought in our heads, and we don't share it out. What I want to encourage you is don't keep those thoughts in your head. Say it to people. Encourage people. Thank people. Keep that language there. And there is another reason why I think we need to be encouraging, and it is this. In Colossians 3.16, we, we 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 looked at this verse and it says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Right? So, So one of our jobs as Christians is that we let the word dwell in us, that we would teach each other and that we would admonish each other. What does that mean? We would correct each other. With the Word and with wisdom, we would correct each other. But here's the thing. I don't think we should correct people that we are not willing to encourage. You see, we are used to this. Many of us are fault finders. If there is a fault to be found, we will find that fault. And we will find it in others and we will find it in the church and we will find it wherever we can find it. And so when, when when you hear that we should correct each other, some of us are like, yeah, I'm ready to do that. I have no problem correcting people, but I don't think we should correct people that we are not willing to encourage. And so it is so much easier to receive a correction from someone that you know is for you. They are for me. They love me. They encourage me. And now they come alongside me and they have a correction. That is so much easier to receive. We need encouraging people. We also need faithful people. Listen to what he says in verse 9. Faithful people. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. First you have Tychicus being sent, then you have Onesimus being sent. And Onesimus is described as a beloved one, as one of you, and as faithful. And when you see that Onesimus is called faithful, you should say in your own heart, that is the wonderful grace of God That this man would be called faithful. You say, what's the big deal about this guy being called faithful? Because a few verses before, Tychicus was called faithful. So what's the miraculous thing about Onesimus being called faithful? The thing about Onesimus being called faithful is this. Onesimus messed up in his life. Onesimus is a mess up. And how do we know Onesimus was a mess up? Well, there's this short little book, the shortest book that Paul has written. It is called Philemon. And he wrote it to Philemon. Philemon was a master of the house and Onesimus was his slave. And Onesimus, as his slave, did something to Philemon. We don't know quite what it was. He cheated him in some way, possibly stole from him. We're not quite sure. And then Onesimus did that and he ran away. When Ananias ran away, he then met Paul in prison and Ananias became a believer. Ananias trusted in Christ. And so then what Paul does is he writes Philemon and he tells Philemon, listen, I want you to accept Ananias back as a brother. I want you to embrace him back and forgive him. Here, the runaway, the deserter, is called the faithful. That is the grace of God. And then it all begins to make sense because you look at Colossians and you say to yourself, well, why was there only one verse about wives? And why was there only one verse about husbands? And then one verse about parents and one verse about children and then five verses about masters and slaves. And so what people do is they say, oh, well, Paul kind of messed up in giving detail about the family, so let's take Ephesians and and put that into Colossians and fill up where Paul is lacking. But no, Paul writes so much about slaves and masters because he's writing into this situation at this church. Philemon was a member at Colossae. And so he's writing to slaves and masters, and he's saying, slaves, on the one hand, I want you to work wholeheartedly for the Lord, And masters, I want you to treat your slaves fairly and well. Anesimus is faithful. He is called faithful. He is one who can be trusted. Do you know that we here stand on the shoulders of faithful men and women who have gone before us? We as the church, we need those faithful people. We stand on the shoulders of those faithful people. Because I talked to you about the cork Carey Project, the churches being planted, right? That all began in a small church called Cork Baptist Church when there was only one church at the time. And that church, in that church, what they did as the story kind of goes, three men got into that room, Baptist missions workers and the pastor got into that room. They had this special Lord's table that they would celebrate the Lord's table on. And what they did was they got a map and they put the map on the table and they said to themselves, what if, what if we had a church started here in Middleton? And what if, we had a church started here in Carrigaline, And what if Balancholic? And what if Douglas? And what if? And these men, they prayed. And the church, they prayed. And the church, they gave sacrificially. And they gave everything they had to see these things happen. And suddenly what you have is churches now in Middleton and in Yall and in and in Carrigaline and in Douglas. And now in Douglas in Passage. So that's the whole idea. We don't stand here because of us. We stand here on the shoulders of faithful men and women who gave their money, who gave their time, who gave their gifts to this cause. And so may that be of us. May we be those faithful people. Let me ask you a question. How long, how long would you like this church to last? How long would you like this church to last? Two years? Five years? Six years? How, would you, how long would you like it to last? Do you know how long I want it to last? Well beyond when I'm dead. Well beyond me. And I want it to last well beyond you. <laughs> this is much bigger than us. But you know how that will happen? Faithful, trustworthy people who live their lives for Jesus Christ. Who are willing to give their time and their gifts and their money to the cause of the Gospel. And stay faithful to Christ Jesus right to the end. So that when a young, new, little pastor comes here, he can say, you know, those years back when they were all wearing masks, they were faithful people stood there till the end and we stand on their shoulders we need faithful people but faithful people aren't faithful because they are faithful why are they faithful they are faithful because their god is faithful you see it is all about the faithfulness of god we are not faithful because i have worked it up i am faithful because of who he is not because of who i am He is the faithful God that we trust. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. We sing that song because he is the one who is faithful, and so we trust in him, we believe in him, we rest our lives on him. Wouldn't it be cool if at the end of your life, someone said of you, "They were not perfect? <laughs> they were not great. But man, they were faithful to the end. May that be true of us. Faithful people, encouraging people, but also comforting people. Verse 10, look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions if he comes to you welcome him and jesus who is called justice these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of god and they have been a comfort to me these are paul's comforters when we talk about paul we often talk about Paul. I don't know, do you realize this? I do this. We talk about Paul as if Paul is always on his own. Do you talk about Paul like that? The, and, and preaching and in and the church, we always talk about Paul as if Paul was just this lone ranger on his own. But what, if you start to look carefully, you start to realize this guy was never on his own. Paul was never on his own. He couldn't have been on his own because he couldn't have done this stuff alone paul needed guys around him he needed support around him he needed comforters around him so then you start looking at the letters and you start thinking to yourself everybody says paul wrote all these letters and he did write all these letters but at the start of a lot of them he mentions other people colossians who was with him at the start it was timothy he says paul and timothy doesn't he and in, and in 2 Corinthians, he says, Timothy. And then in First and Second Thessalonians, he says, um, Sylvanus and Timothy greet you with me. You see, he wasn't alone. Even Romans, the great Romans, he, he dictated that to someone else who was there, who wrote it. There was always people with him. On his first missionary journey, was he alone? No, Barnabas was with him. On his later missionary journeys, was he alone? No, Silas was with him and others partnered with him along the way. He was never, ever alone. He couldn't have lived it alone. Even when he's in prison here, what does verse 10 say? My fellow prisoner greets you. And some people believe that this guy might have come alongside and and imprisoned himself in one way in order to be with Paul. I don't know, does the passage prove that? but I think it is clear that people are with him. How does he say, um, Aristarchus greets you and Mark greets you and Justice greets you unless they were with him? So what do we need as people? We need other people who are going to be with us. We cannot do this alone. Can you imagine this room if we were alone? If you just came here on your own? If I came here on my own? I might still preach, but it'd be fairly discouraging. Can't do these things on our own. People need people. We need each other. We need to come alongside each other. We need to help each other. We need people around. You cannot live this Christian life alone. Too many people think they can live this Christian life alone. I'm glad for that technology. But if people would use this technology as an excuse to sit at home alone, they are not going to grow in their faith because people need people more than we need screens. We need each other. What do we need each other for? Paul said he needed them for comfort. He needed them for the highs and lows of life. And so what that means for us as a church is if we are going to remain faithful, right? If we're going to remain faithful in this church throughout the years and and be here throughout the years, what does that mean? We're going to live life together. And if we live life together, faithfully together, do you know what's going to happen? Life is going to happen to us. We are going to go through the ups and the downs of life together. It's no stretch of the imagination to say that one day tragedy is going to strike the lives of some people in this church. So what are people going to need in that time? People who are ready to comfort and care and come alongside and be about other people. Just like they were with Paul. Paul, you're in prison. We're going to go with you. We're going to sit with you. We're going to be with you. We're going You're, you're going to write the letters and we're going to carry them for you. We're going to walk the distance when you can't walk. We're going to stand before you. We're going to be with you. We're going to comfort you. And you're going to be able to do this. It's never to be lived alone. And if we are going to comfort each other, what does that mean for us? It means at some level, at some level, we as a church are going to need to learn how to be transparent with each other. At some level, we are going to need to learn how to tell one another when something's going on. How can people comfort you if they don't know what's going on with you? So we must come alongside one another and comfort one another in this way, in this church. We need faithful people. We need encouraging people. We need comforting people. What's amazing about verse 10 is he mentions this guy, Mark. He mentions Mark. And when you see the name Mark, you should say, The grace of God. That's the grace of God. Because Mark, do you know who Mark is? Mark's another deserter. That's who Mark is. See, Paul, in his first missionary journey, in Acts 13, it talks about Paul going with um, this guy Barnabas, right? And Barnabas, in this first missionary journey, he seeks to bring along his cousin. His cousin's name is John Mark. So he brings John Mark along with Barnabas and Paul on the first missionary journey. And guess what Mark decides to do? Halfway through the journey... Mark leaves. We don't know why, but he deserts them. Then it comes time for their second missionary journey in Acts 15. They come together for their second missionary journey, and I guess they have their meeting. Paul and Barnabas, they get together, and Barnabas has this idea, and he says, you know what, I have I have this cousin. His name is Mark. Shall we bring him along? Do you know what Paul says? Paul says, no way. That guy's a deserter. We're not bringing him. And so what it says in Acts 15 is that Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement. So sharp, in fact, that Barnabas goes off on a separate mission and takes Mark. And Paul goes off on a separate mission and takes Silas. And what God is sovereign in all of that in doing is is the gospel spreads despite their failures. Right? It goes to more places even with their argument. But now, who do we have here mentioned but Mark? Mark is with me. And Mark is comforting me. In fact, in Paul's last letter to Timothy, do you know what he says about Mark? He says this, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Mark. Mark the failure, becomes Mark, the comforter. Amazing. Anesimus, the failure, becomes Anesimus, the faithful. Amazing. Just because you failed in the past, listen to me, listen to me, just because you have failed in the past, it does not mean that God won't use you in the future. Just because you have failed in the past, it does not mean that God will not use you in the future. So in this church, I hope there will always be grace upon grace for those who say, you know what? I've messed up, but I want to serve Jesus again. And we can say, yes, come. You can be part of us, the comforter. Encouraging people, faithful people, comforting people, finally hard-working people. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear, bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Epaphras is the hard worker. Now notice in verse 12 what it says about pa- Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you. That is the same description that is given of Onesimus in, in verse 9 anesimus who is one of you and epaphras who is one of you now why would paul say that of anesimus because paul wants them to accept anesimus anesimus remember remember church at Colossae. anesimus is one of you now remember also that epaphras is one of you because they've got to be scratching their heads how did paul end up writing this letter to us And how did Paul end up knowing all this stuff about us, you know, about the angel worship and about, you know, how do they know? Someone told on them. Who told on them? Epaphras. How's that going to go down with the false teachers? How is that going to go down? Because because Paul seems to address them specifically on certain issues. He addresses them on the issue of sexual immorality, doesn't he? Did Paul just pull that out of the sky? Maybe it was the Lord who led him. Or maybe, and it was the Lord who led him, but he also had someone giving him some information. And it was Epaphras. And so Epaphras, when he comes back, he needs, he needs good references, doesn't he? He needs the Apostle Paul to stand on his behalf and that's what Paul is doing. Epaphras sends you greetings. Epaphras is coming and Tychicus is coming. They are one of you. Accept them. And here's why I want you to accept them. Because you need him. Here's why you need Epaphras. Epaphras is a hard worker. He is hard working in two ways. First, he is a hard worker in prayer. Do you see that in verse 12? A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras is struggling in prayers for you. In other words, Epaphras is wrestling in his prayers. If, if your children are failing in life and struggling in life, do you know what that does for your prayer life for your children? Do you know what you start doing? You start wrestling for them in prayer because you care about them so much. And this is what Epaphras is doing. He's wrestling in prayer because he cares about them so much. He's hardworking in his prayer and he's also hardworking in his ministry. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and for those at Heropolis, which probably means the founder of these churches... It's Epaphras. He founded Colossae. He founded the church at Laodicea and Heropolis. He's a hard worker. He's a hard worker amongst you. And so this is the guy I want. You need him. You need this type of guy. And here's what I've noticed about every single church that has lasted the test of time. Every single church has lasted the test of time, not because of the people up the front, but because of the people who are willing to work behind the scenes. Every church has lasted the test of time throughout generations and generations because there are hard-working people behind the scenes, hard-working in prayer. Are you praying for us on Sunday? Are you praying for the ministry here on Friday? Are you praying that the Lord would speak through His Word? Are you praying for His people? We need hard-working people in prayer who will struggle for us in prayer. Behind the scenes, and let me tell you, you won't get a pat on the back for it. But when you see Him face to face, He will say, my good and faithful servant. There are many jobs that you will end up doing in this church, and you may not get a pat on the back for it. But on the final day, He sees it all. And He doesn't just see what you do, He sees how you do it. He sees your heart. We just see the outward. We just see people up front. We just see all these hard workers. But it is possible to do good things without faith. And then if you do good things without faith, it is not pleasing to God. And so all of our hard work should be seen as those behind the scenes for Him. We need encouraging people, faithful people, comforting people, and hard-working people in this church. And the question is, will you be one of them? Will you be one of them? Because I believe that is what God is calling you to do. Here's my struggle. Can I be honest with you <laughs> for a second? Paul, in the end of his letters, he's, he's, he's so kind of scattered, you know? He says all these kind of things. So I struggled. I was like, how do I finish? (laughs) How do I finish? Let me finish quickly with three brief things. Because I think he finishes with three brief things. Here's the first thing he finishes with. Uh, Verse 14. He talks about other people. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And so what Paul does his here is he mentions other people. Now notice when he mentions the people before, he mentions their characteristics. They're encouraging, they're faithful, they're hardworking, but here he just mentions who they are. Luke the physician and Demas and the nympha who uses her house. And he just mentions other people. Interestingly for us, verse 14, this is how you know that Luke is a physician. Not because Luke says it in his gospel but because Paul says it in Colossians. Other people. And then he says two things. He ends with two commands. Read and remember. Verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, It is also read, it is also to be read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. What does he say? Read it in your church. Read it in other churches. Keep reading it. What does that say to us about the Christian faith? The Christian faith involves reading our faith is a reading faith our faith is 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 around this book that is to be read and so when we have readers get up to read we have that for a purpose paul says do not give up the public reading of the word that's why we have readings up here because that's what we're called to have we're not seeking other people's opinions And so you say to me very simply, Shane, when you're preaching, why don't you do this most of the time instead of doing this most of the time? The reason I don't do this most of the time and do this most of the time is because I want you to communicate to you that what I am saying isn't from me. What I am saying is from this. What we are reading is from this. And we need this letter for us. And finally, Paul ends by saying, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul writes and he says, don't forget me. Remember me. Be with me. Comfort me. Encourage me. Remember my chains. Remember what they are for. They are for the gospel. And that ends the book of Colossians, brothers and sisters. And do you know what that means? 60 more to go. And if there's 60 more to go, do you know what that's going to mean? We need faithful people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we pray that You, by Your Word, will move by Your Spirit that we might be those encouraging people people faithful people comforting people and hard-working people for the glory of your name lord you have been faithful to us so we pray that we will be faithful to others in your precious name amen let us stand and sing faithful one so unchanging before we celebrate the lord's table together